Good morning. Welcome to this new year. Welcome to our assembly today. We commend to you God and His Word and ask that you be ready with us in Romans chapter 1. For several years here at Laurel Heights in my sermon planning, one Sunday a month, generally the first Sunday, there is a theme that I follow throughout the year. So in total, there are 12 sermons developed around this theme. Last year, from the book of Acts, the theme was, It's What Christians Do. This year, from various passages in Scripture, the theme is Faith According to the Scriptures. I want this year for us to review and know very well about faith, and I want us to know it according to the Scriptures. Today, in the first sermon in this series, I'm going to be working somewhat on the negative side of this subject. I'm going to call this faith denied. And here's where we're headed. What happens when faith in God is rejected? When people against wisdom, evidence, good influence, and more than sufficient revelation of what's right, <clears throat> just decide to have none of it. Whether suddenly or gradually, faith in God and the obedience of that faith is pushed aside, rejected, denied. Now, what course is then set? I'm going to read from Romans 1, beginning at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore... God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural 
relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Context. Let me speak to the overall theme of Romans for just a moment. When we read Romans, we are reading what God, through Paul, wrote to the church at Rome. And in the verses before verse 18, where we started the reading, it is clear to the reader, this total letter is about relationship with God, man can enter into through the activity of faith in Christ, the Son of God. That message is the gospel. Paul said in the passage you heard earlier this morning that he was not ashamed of the gospel. Hearing this message from God, sinners can, by faith in Christ and the obedience of that faith, get out of sin, into fellowship with God, and live right. Christ died to make that gift a reality. Now that's the primary theme in Romans. That's what Paul is affirming. He answers common questions about it. He takes his readers into some details, and then he takes them to applications. Faith in Christ and the obedience of that faith all through the letter to Christians in Rome is the theme. But what if faith is denied? Faith in God was denied by many before Christ came. Faith in God was denied after Christ was raised from the dead. What behavior, what destruction and heartache is set in motion when faith is denied? Most important, what is God's reaction when faith is denied? This passage tells us what happens. We're going to face that today. What happens to man? What happens to innocent victims? But most important, God's reaction. When faith and obedience to Him is rejected, faith denied sets the denier on this course. I want to begin with three areas of study about this text, and then we'll look at some of the details, and I'm presenting what happens when faith is denied? First, 
look through this text and observe what the problem is in mankind. Here's what is charged against the human race in Romans 1, beginning at verse 18. Ungodliness, unrighteousness, suppressing the truth, ingratitude, futility of thought, foolishness, uncleanness, lust, all manner of sexual immorality, covetousness, gossip, disobedient to parents, hatefulness, on and on. This is about something really simple but really horrible. God created us, gave us minds and bodies and companions and blessings. He asked us to live according to His standard of thought and conduct. Not one of us can honestly say we have done that in every way God has directed perfectly. We may have done some of it. We may not have been guilty of every sin documented here. But it says over in Romans 3.23, All have sinned and do fall short of the glory of God. What's Paul doing? He's identifying the human problem. This is what the problem is. Even if we are Christians now and we're doing our best today... We acknowledge that we are tempted. Our acknowledgement may need to go further that we have sinned, that we are guilty, we need to repent. This passage was written to Christians and it is part of God's revelation to man. And it tells us the human problem the gospel addresses is sin. Paul is stressing that in these verses. Now... It is not that every one of us have committed every one of these sins. Or that every Gentile or every Jew before Christ acted this way in every detail. This is the course that is set. This is the direction when faith and its obedience is denied. There may be several bad behaviors here in this passage that you've never considered, would never do, never think about, and that you're always going to find repulsive, like murder or hating God. But before we take comfort in that, there are certainly some sins in this list we've been guilty of. Did you ever disobey your parents? No show of hands is needed. Have you ever neglected to be thankful to God? Have you ever told a lie? Entertained some level of envy? Or what about boasting or being unforgiving? I should never read this passage and skip over it and dismiss it as if I'm exempt from temptation. I need to know, and I need to be equipped to share with others, this is the course that is set when faith is denied. Second, I need to very quickly see how offended God is by the behaviors and attitudes described in the passage. 
Whatever other awful consequences may come to pass, God's reaction is most important. God cares about us. And so when we ignore Him and push Him away and violate His standards, He is upset. And it is not like human anger out of control or rage that we experience when we don't get our way, but it's called wrath. And it says in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. God has always made it known that He is not pleased with the sin of man. Through prophets and judgments and revelations, God has spoken to inform man He is not pleased when faith in Him is denied. Now, one thing God could do is just restrain us and force us to do what is right. Not only does He not do that, there are statements here that God lets men who are depraved continue in their sin to suffer the consequences. Three times in the passage, Paul says, God gave them over, or God gave them up to practice their vile passions. God could force us to do right, or He could strike everyone dead the moment they sin. God is upset. But he wants people to change, to repent, to embrace the obedience of faith from the heart. He wants that so much, he gave his only begotten son. The premier act that defines what love is. What we should understand is, God loves us, cares for us. And so when we act against him, and act against ourselves by engaging in sin, we displease Him. Faith, denied, sets us in this frightful direction. Faith, denied, puts us under the wrath of God. We earn it, we incur it. Faith, denied, creates blindness to God. Faith, denied, causes us to worship our own thoughts and build our own idols. All of this should be alarming, terrifying, because God is holy. And that means He cannot tolerate sin. The wrath of God is His overwhelmingly negative reaction to sin. It is just and righteous. He cares for us. But along with that fundamental to His nature, He is holy. I think sometimes... That truth doesn't weigh as heavily on us as it should. It should supply motive to make certain our lives are being built on the solid groundwork of obedience of faith in Christ. Not only does God love us, He is perfect, absolutely holy, and one result of His holiness is His wrath against the behavior and the misbehaviors in this passage. There's a third area of study I want to bring up, and then we're going to go back into some of the details. Man is without excuse. This is clear when you start at verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. 
because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Look at the language. Clearly seen, understood, although they knew God, they became futile and became fools. So they're without excuse. Man is without excuse. Sinners are without excuse. God has made himself known to mankind through natural evidence and revelation in Scripture. Sinners cannot claim they had no way to know. We can look around and see evidence of God's existence everywhere, and then we can learn His will through His revelation. No excuse remains. So this passage in Romans 1, 18-32 serves this primary purpose. It is a detailed indictment specifying why man needs the gospel. Another way to say that is, this is what happens when faith is denied. We are, each one of us, somewhere in Romans 1, 18-32, at least in our past. And this is why the gospel needs to be heard, believed, and obeyed, and continued in. There are some details in the text I'm going to take a few minutes to explore. What we're considering this morning is when faith in God is denied, not activated, suppressed, this is the course of life. It is away from God and away from eternal good. Let's dig a little deeper for the next few minutes. His invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. God's existence and power can be seen and known and understood by the things that are made. The universe, the components and elements of life, the human mind and body, things we experience and touch and use and see, give evidence that God is, and that He has power that we do not have. He is the Creator, we are the created. Thus we ought to live according to His instructions. It could be said, the divine footprint or the marks of deity are all around us. Paul is saying, look at the world. What do you see? This is the argument from design leaving the sinner without any excuse. Agnostics, atheists, secular scientists have spent entire careers and research grants in their efforts to explain, to spin, to deny the obvious, the creative power of Almighty God, whose invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Yet faith in God in Christ is denied, resulting in the sins and consequences documented in Romans 1. They did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful. One definitive move away from God into sin 
is not being thankful, not praising and worshiping Him. Sinners become involved in their self-interest and eventually ignore God's claim on them. And this says one of the first steps into this depravity is not being thankful to God. This degeneration reaches a place where verse 25 says, The creature is worshipped rather than the Creator. Man begins to deny faith in God through the neglect of simple gratitude. This is not, in Romans 1, getting up one morning and making choices to murder and commit adultery and break covenants. When faith is denied, it is a gradual slide that begins with such simple neglect they did not glorify God. Romans 1 helps us understand what happens when the obedience of faith isn't taken seriously. When faith is denied, this is the dark course that one can wander into. And it includes this. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. That's 24 and 25, continuing into 26 and 27. There is this phrase in the English Standard Version, the lust of their hearts. Or if you have the NIV, sinful desires. Interesting word. It means passionate desire for forbidden pleasure. And that's right here in the context of homosexuality. A Bible lexicographer, William Barclay, goes on to make these observations about this word lust or sinful desires. It is the desire which makes men do nameless and shameless things. It is a kind of insanity which makes a man do things that he would never have done if this desire had not taken away his sense of honor and prudence and decency. It is the sign of a man who has set his heart on the things and the pleasures which this world can supply and who has completely forgotten the creator of this world. It is the way of life of a man who has become so completely immersed in the world that he has ceased to be aware of God at all. 
This is the course followed when faith is denied. This is the context of Paul's statement of sin that includes this vivid description of homosexuality. It is so clearly revealed in Genesis what God's intention is for intimate human companionship. Homosexuality is a perversion of that. It is error which deserves a penalty, Paul says here. When faith is resisted, denied, and Christ is rejected, these are the doors that open, and they open to an expression of the wrath of God. In verses 29 and 30, they are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice such things. That's one of the most specific descriptions of sin you can find anywhere in Scripture. Because it takes in sins of attitude and thought, it describes a variety of typical misbehaviors like gossip and malice and envy and disobedient to parents. Paul doesn't leave much out here. In fact, there are comprehensive statements here which are generic and can be defined elsewhere in even more specific terms. Evil-mindedness, proud, undiscerning. This is why we need the gospel. And this is why our friends and neighbors need the gospel. And this is what can happen when faith is not understood according to Scripture, when faith is rejected, when faith is denied. This whole passage, Romans 1, 18-32, this whole passage, Paul brings us face to face with what the denial of faith in God does to people. It is this simple. Sin is our problem. God is offended. There is no excuse. Instead of walking down this path, faith in Christ and the obedience of that faith should be valued and individually embraced. When I read this passage, what personal application should I make? I said before, the temptation is to read myself out of this. I hope it is true none of us are living in the dark and ugly trench that is described in Romans 1. But I should be constantly on guard, and each one here, that we do not slip into this dark trench of apostasy. I should be thankful 
and every Christian thankful that by the activity of our faith in Christ, God's grace rescued us from what we could never have saved ourselves from. And this passage reminds us of those little steps that can take us back where we may have once lived. The neglect of gratitude. Being absorbed in what we want now. Not recognizing God's holiness, therefore His wrath against sin. I don't want to take even little steps by being envious, unmerciful, guilty of gossip, boastful, or faithless. The problem is sin. The solution is the gospel, heard, believed, and obeyed. And this is all about faith in Christ and its obedience. We're going to be working on that over the next several months. Faith according to the Scriptures. Is there some immediate response you need to make to all this while together we stand and as we sing? Oh, my Lord, no. Oh.